everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker, your other host. On this show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, until the end of time. That is right, Colin, and we are smack dab at the beginning of the end of 1931. Um, that specific place of the beginning of the end. Hey, can I give a quick shout out to someone yeah. in the audience, actually? Sure. Uh, yeah. At James Wilcox, as if I'm tagging you, I'm sorry, uh, but you will be happy to know that I can see the bottom of the document. And James loves when you can see bottoms. All right. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> see, that was a that was like a double shout out. Yeah, I feel for like. sure. So that works out nicely. Hey, um, also, it's the 91st anniversary of the team arriving in 1931. Oh, wow. 19- That's wild. Yeah. So. All right. So with all of that business out of the way, good luck editing. We are talking about Agents Shield, Agents of Shield, season seven, episode two, starting at fourteen thirty-four and ending at fifteen twelve. And here is what oh my happens. god! I'm sorry to interrupt. I just realized what you meant by that. I was kind of like, that's a weird thing to say, James, because I didn't get that. It's because they arrived, like we just mentioned in the previous episode, they arrived on February thirteenth. Yeah. In 1931. So this yeah. is 91 years. Like, okay. Yeah. Wow. That took me a second to realize what that meant. <laughs> I'm ashamed at how long that took. That's actually a really cool stat. And the fact that we have an episode come out yeah. for like on that time. Very no, cool. Okay. If, if you're listening and you're saying, well, technically they got there at the, you said like 1130 the 12th. on the 12th. They hit the streets of New York City on, on February 13th. Um, okay. So here's what happens in that scene. Actually, I'm also glad that you explained that because if you didn't get it, then maybe other people didn't get it. And so now they do. I got that, but maybe you should explain it for everybody else in the room. (laughs) One of my favorite tropes of all time. Yeah. Back in the Zephyr, Enoch is attempting to increase the range on the radios the team is using to communicate. Johnson contacts him and says they could not communicate with Mackenzie and Shaw. He told her they might just be out of range. She also suggests that it's just as possible that Malik might have done something to them. Enoch promises to keep working on reaching the boys while May, who had been listening to this conversation, disappears. She pulls a Michael Myers. She's standing there. If he looks up right then, he would see her. But then he does look up and she's gone. Um, classic uh, cat like Melinda May. Mm-hmm. Melinda Mayow. All right. So um, the thing I looked up was the range of walkie talkies. Oh, okay. I love this. Um, and I came up with a, uh, on the James and Aaron Minute movies, we often have rewrites to fix the things that, um, to put right what once went wrong when they made the movie. Mm-hmm. And so I have- What a, you're not supposed to be doing in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Right, exactly. Um, I went <laughs> to, I did a search and I found uh, Rocky Talkie. So that is Rocky like the boxer, Talkie like Walkie Talkie. Oh, okay. Dot com. Um, and the poster on November 27th, 2019, uh, posted about what ranges you should expect from your walkie talkie. Mm -hmm. So, uh, UHF radio waves are weakened and can be blocked by obstacles. Obstacles such as trees will lower radio range while obstacles such as mountains can be expected to completely block transmission. So even though forested areas do attenuate the signal in these regions, you should expect your range to be limited far more by the hills blocking your signal than by the trees absorbing it. In more urban areas, buildings will significantly block your signal. Most concrete, brick, or metal structures reflect all radio waves. 
So in cities with a two watt radio, which is more common, but they said up the five watt, which is sort of the maximum that walkie talkies sort of go. Um, it, it doesn't change the range that much. So uh, you can expect a range of less than one mile in a city because of so all the buildings blocking it. When they're on a train, they're absolutely just, I mean, unbelievably out of, out of range. However, mm -hmm. oh. they're in the Zephyr. Enoch is in the Zephyr. Yeah. So if he lifted up to cloud range, I bet he'd be able, because then you, if you get to cloud range, if you like get to like a top of a peak, you can get mm -hmm. like 50, 60 miles on these walkie talkies. Oh. It's just that usually you run into a building or something. Well, but that, but okay. So, okay. So you're saying though, that he would be the one relaying information, not Daisy connecting to them through Enoch, right? Because Correct. Daisy is in a very clearly concrete building and they're right. also in a metal container. Sure. So exactly. Hurling at, at how many miles an hour again? Yeah. What's six up to 60, I believe. Um, oh, 55, yeah. 60. Um, so yeah, I think that there would still be possibilities for interference. But if mm -hmm. Deacon Mac opened the door to the to the train, you know, the thing like, where you stick it out the window and yeah, like kind exactly. of do like the antenna dance kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's why you do that. I think yeah. it's because of this. You're sticking it out because I don't think cell phones are like. Listen, breaking scientific news. I'm not sure that cell phones are like walkie talkies. <laughs> don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure they're different. Um, well, back when we had actual antennas on yeah, our phones, exactly. we definitely had to do that for yeah, sure. For sure. Um, but anyway, so my solution is that it still would have had some interferences, but I think if Enoch had lived, and there are myriad reasons why he didn't, but a solution to the walkie-talkie range would have been lifting the Zephyr up above the buildings. Um, so that, that's Smart. just a, but he wouldn't have known that they weren't, he wouldn't know where they, where they were. So like, right. Right. So the, you know, whatever. No but GPS tracking. No GPS tracking yet. Um, so that is all that I had in terms of segment. Okay. I have a little brief uh, music of 1931, and then I'm I'm good to go. Fantastic. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we're doing Jack Hilton with Beyond the Blue Horizon. Uh, Jack Hilton was an English pianist, composer, band leader, and imp impresario. He rose to prominence during the British dance band era, being referred to as the British King of Jazz and the Ambassador of British Dance Music by the musical press, not only because of his popularity, which extended throughout the world, but also for his use of unusually large ensembles for the time and his polished arrangements. Even though he was not professionally trained for business, he brought his band to success even at a time when the Great Depression hit hard during the 1930s. His good reputation allowed him to make contacts with famous jazz artists of the time, and he was credited for bringing Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, and others to Britain and Europe in the 1930s. An ensemble consisting at times of more than 20 musicians, the Hilton Orchestra quickly stood out from the rest. Unlike many other band leaders who took up residences at nightclubs and ballrooms, Hilton often embarked on lengthy tours of England, which ultimately molded the concept most Britons had of jazz. So because he was traveling, he basically brought jazz to the masses. Um, cool. Of England. Like the Johnny Appleseed of jazz. Exactly. Jazzy Appleseed. Johnny Apple Jazz. Um, <laughs> by the mid-1920s, he was usually referred to as the British King of Jazz, a notion Hilton initially dismissed. Hmm. As late as 1926, he thought of jazz as, quote, a bunch of noises, end quote. 
Popular at the end of the First World War, quote, when everything was topsy-turvy. It would be like Elvis saying, rock and roll is just a fad. I don't understand what these kids are talking about. Why do they call me the king of rock and roll? Like, not being tuned into the genre that you are being touted as the, like, the bastion of is wild. Um, the second half of the 1920s marked Tilton's highest point of prominence. After recovering from a near-fatal car accident, which the article said nothing more about, he made the first <laughs> in a string of, quote, continental tours that lasted until 1930. According to the Daily Herald of 7th of June, 1930, between 4 and 5 million records sold in 1929 out of 50 million sold overall. So he sold about 10% of the records of 1939, of 1929. Jeez. Um, they were made by Hilton, although 3 million has been suggested as likely a more accurate figure. So only uh, 5% of all the records of 1929. Um, by the time the Great Depression started biting in 1930, someone got fancy on Wikipedia, Hilton downsized his band and began performing in Europe less frequently. That same year, however, Maurice Chevalier recorded with Hilton, so things were, were still looking up for the king of yeah. British jazz. British king of jazz. Uh, the song Beyond the Blue Horizon is a 1930 song first performed by Jeanette MacDonald in the film Monte Carlo. It reached number five in the United States. It is a song featured in Godfather 3. It is a song listed in the Great American Songbook as one of the best song written from the 1920s through the 1950s. And Alexander Courage stated he received inspiration from Beyond the Blue Horizon when writing Theme from Star Trek. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. Huge song. Influential. Yeah, for sure. Influential song, influential band. And that is the music of 1931. Perfect. Before I give a recommendation... Yeah, uh, I will say something that you had said earlier about him saying the thing about jazz is just a bunch of noises. Yeah. It made me think of a tweet that went viral last year, uh, and I just saw it pop up again recently. Um, so I'm, I'd like to really quick read this to you because yeah. it's obviously pretty short. For sure. Um, and it says, jazz is about the notes you don't play, he tells me. And now I lie awake at night, tormented. Bombarded by the ceaseless, silent melodies. I am my own undoing. The quiet makes it louder. Thus I remain forever cursed by this knowledge. I am never not playing jazz. Who said and I think that? That, uh, that was Andrew Nadeau. Nadeau. N-A-D-E-A-U. Nadeau. Nadeau, yeah. I don't know. That should have been much easier for me, someone who lives in... Louisiana, <laughs> where everything is that. Um, yeah. Like when people say go tigers, they spell it. Right. G-E-A-U-X. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Not enough X's. Yeah, that's what it is. I think if there was an X at the end, I would have known. Yeah, for sure. That, that was all that yeah, I had for that's that, that That's um, beautiful. I thought it was going to be something snarky, especially even when you started reading, I was like, snarky, snarky. It was like a Night Vale, pro, like. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> it feels like it's Night Vale's version of jazz. Like. I could totally see that being like one of the final thoughts of Cecil. Yeah. Of like being like, I am never not playing jazz. Yeah. Good evening. You know, you're exactly. like, what? no, no, stop, come back. <laughs> exactly. Is, is, uh, yeah. And that's wild to think of jazz is the music you don't, there's the notes you don't play, which means that the less jazz you, you hear, the mm -hmm. more jazz you hear. Love that. Correct. Actually, you know, now I say that, I'm going to say no to Night Vale and keep it in house and say it's very pod cube. For sure. And speaking of PodCube, Ooh. you should check out PodCube, a fantastic little show here on the Scavengers 
network. Uh, all sorts of, uh, of fun stories that all happen within now on the PodCube RSS Podfige. Uh, you can find a range of times of episodes, but it's a highly bingeable show. Um, and much like our show proves that time is weird. It's a show that creates and finds audio from all sorts of times and places and spaces and brings you some of the greatest improvised comedy this side of any river. So wow. no matter what side of a river you're on, it's the best comedy you're going to find. Wow. There you go. A huge endorsement for PodCube. Absolutely. Uh, you guys can put that in your brochure. Anyway, that's going to do it for us on this episode of Timeline Scavengers. Thank you, everyone, so much for joining us. We will catch you all next time. As always, I'm Colin Parker. And I'm James Anderson. Excelsior! Are you a fan of Boy Meets World? Do you enjoy rewatch podcasts? Well, then you should check out The Lost Years, a retrospective fan cast hosted by me, Tay. And me, Sid. It's my favorite show of all time. And I've never seen it. Each week, we're recapping a new episode of Boy Meets World, sharing bits of nostalgia and learning a wholesome lesson. Join us on our rewatch journey, won't you? School's in session every Tuesday, wherever you find your podcasts. What else do you need to know? Also, I've made a comment about how they didn't need the uh, diaper anymore, and then immediately the next episode that came out after we said that, he's in a goddamn (laughs) diaper, and I was like, come on, y'all. Stop messing with me like this. Anyway. I mean, no one listens. Now let's get to the episode. All right. Yeah. Here we go. (laughs) They're listening ahead of time and going, okay, now fuck with them and put it in now. (laughs) And that is go. Diaper gate. All right, here we go. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.